Good morning, friends. I hope you're well. Uh, yes, my name is Charlie, Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. If this is your first time here and we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. We have been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, which is a section from the book of Matthew where Jesus told his disciples how to pray. Not saying like word for word this is necessarily what you need to say, but these are the heart postures that I want you addressing in prayer. So let's read that together, Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, you can, we can say it together if you want. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You might know a different version of this. Uh, there are different versions, different translations and such. Um, but once again, it's not about the specific wording. It's about the heart posture and the things that we are speaking to uh, and asking for. And on that note, there is something different this week. So this week, we are focusing on verse 12. I don't know if you can put the whole thing back up there. We're going to be looking at uh, verse 12. Um, verse 12 is a request. We've been asking for things thus far in the prayer. Um, I don't know if, if this is your first time here, just that little refresher. Um, hallow be your name. We're asking for that. Um, give us our daily bread. Um, we're asking God to show himself, asking God to bring his kingdom here. Um, the perfection that exists in the heavenly city, let it be here. There's lots of things we've been asking for, and we're asking for something today, too, as we look at verse 12. Um, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're asking, forgive us. But with this specific part of the Lord's Prayer, there's something a little different, because in addition to us asking for something, there's a little bit of a uh, expectation on our part, isn't there? That's the first time that comes up. So this is a forgive us our debts as we have forgiven. That's, that's, that's new in the prayer. And interestingly, uh, it seems like Jesus realizes that this part is going to land on the, uh, in the ears of his hearers because after he says how to pray, he knows what they're thinking about and he zeroes in on this specific part. Uh, lo look what happens next in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So you see, he said the prayer, and then he zeroed in on that part. Forgive us our debts, Lord. Forgive us as we have forgiven. And here Jesus says in no uncertain terms that this isn't an optional part of the Christian life. It is uh, mandatory. It is part of our call a very central part of our call, and today we're going to understand why. First, I thought it would be good to acknowledge something. Forgiving others, forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. We all want to be forgiven, and that's part of it. But part of that for us is go and live a life of forgiving others, and let's just acknowledge that's hard and there are reasons it is hard. It is hard, and, and that's, on one hand, I could be like, well, that's easy for me to say it's hard. It's actually harder, um, meaning I've never lived in my life, uh, I've never experienced 
the things that would really classify someone in a dramatic way as a, a victim. The things that, you know, they make like, um, you know, made for, for TV movies and things like that out of. I know a lot of you have experienced that because as a pastor, I, I talk with you and I hear your stories. I personally have never experienced some of those more dramatic things. Um, I know we are a church of immigrants. I myself am an immigrant, but I did not immigrate from a war-torn country, and I know many of you have. Many of you, when you think about forgiveness and the things that you've suffered, things that your family has suffered, you think, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge forgiving others is hard. Even though I've never experienced those really dramatic things that they make movies out of, that kind of forgiveness, I have lived in a large family. I grew up in a large family. I have a large family now. Those sorts of forgiveness, uh, you know, in the previous passage, it says if you forgive your brother, like there's this acknowledgement that it's, it's often in the family that forgiveness is the hardest. Here, Jesus kind of expands it to just other people in general, so it's not limited to family. But I can say in the family, that's where forgiveness is really often needed to just continue to be able to function. I don't know why, if I'm Italian or what, but I just have in my mind the picture of the, you know, the cheese grater that you just grade cheese with. Like Something about living with family, it just like grades against you, and some of those edges are kind of sharp. You know what I mean? And it's like, if forgiveness isn't a way of life for you, family is going to be torturous. Okay? You're just, you're just not going to survive it. Your household's not going to survive it. There's not going to be a sense of happiness and peace. It'll be far from you if forgiveness isn't something you have learned. But, but, once more, let's acknowledge, forgiving others is hard. And you know why it's hard? You know why it's hard? There's a reason it's hard. Because God has made us in his image. And part of being in God's image is having a sense of justice. Do you know that? See, that's, that's the thing. Forgiveness is hard because it competes with another aspect of what is good, justice. There is something good in us that makes forgiveness hard. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But uh, justice, what, what is justice, by the way? Actually, um, there's a passage uh, um, that I'm just going to read. It's not going to go on the screen. But I think it kind of explains justice pretty well. Uh, Leviticus chapter 24, beginning verse 19, it says, And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he had done, so shall it be done to him. <laughs> breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused a blemish in a man, so it shall be done to him. That's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Sounds like justice. If you take something from me, I take it from you. That's justice, an eye for an eye. And yes, this is in the Bible, but actually this concept is older than the Bible. It's older than the book of Leviticus here. Uh, an eye for an eye, there it is. Moses wrote it in Leviticus, but you actually find the very same phrase, an eye for an eye, in something known as the Code of Hammurabi, which is an even older ancient Babylonian text, which really just tells us that this concept, an eye for an eye, justice, this is not a religious thing. This, is a, this transcends humanity. We're made in this. It, it stirs in us. An eye for an eye. That's justice. That's justice. And that's good. I am not here to say that justice is not good. God made us with a sense of justice because justice is good. But you know what else is good? Mercy and forgiveness. 
And I don't know if you've ever taken the time to consider how these things in themselves stand in contrast to each other by themselves. If you take forgiveness by itself, forgiveness, forgiveness can be offensive. Do you know that? Forgiveness can make people angry. Are you, are you suggesting that I should just let them get away with what they did to me? It can get someone angry. Forgiveness can make people look weak. Did, did you hear what she did to him? And he just, he just took her back? Can make people look shameful and weak. Forgiveness. And the reason why forgiveness can come across that way is once more, it stands in contrast to our concept of justice, which is also a good thing. You see, forgiveness by itself can't stand alone because it denies an aspect of being made in God's image, goodness. But you see, justice, justice by itself also carries some problems, doesn't it? I mean, there's a quote that's often attributed to Gandhi, but it's actually, we don't know where it came from, is, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Um, an eye for an eye has limits. Um, where's Roger? Is Roger here somewhere? He's probably floating around. Roger said to me, uh, uh, Roger's from Lebanon, and he t told me uh, not that long ago how troubled he is with the things on the news and, and war in the Middle East. And he said, this is where I come from, and where I come from, so many people, an eye for an eye is all they know. An eye for an eye is all they understand. And if an eye for an eye is just continually how the world works, justice, justice, I will seek justice. If that is continually how we live and how we work, guess what? There's a problem. Where does it end? There's no end. Justice is good, but justice by itself leaves us in a problematic situation. And forgiveness is good, but without justice, how is that right? How is that fair? What are we to do? How? How can mercy, forgiveness, and justice collide? And there is an answer, and there's one answer, and it's the answer that the world needs. It's the answer our families need. We're going to dive into this as we consider this call, forgive as you've been forgiven. Father God, guide my words. Give us more of yourself, more of yourself. Lord, you have given the church your spirit, and let that be evident. Let it be evident. Let your name be hallowed. Let those outside of these church walls hear about what you're doing, Lord. And I lift up the other churches in town as well. It's on my heart, Lord, that your spirit at work in your people would be known outside of the doors of your church. People would hear about what you were doing, and what is happening here can only be explained by your spirit among us. Give us a double portion of your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Signs, wonders, miracles, spirit of prophecy. Lord, show yourself while you anoint the truth of your word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we are. Uh, Jesus said this, forgive others. That's hard. Let's acknowledge that's hard, but it's mandatory. How are we to do it? We have a sense of justice. Well, we're going to uh, check out Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Okay, so uh, some translations actually says 70 times seven. Some translations say 77, like we just read, but it really doesn't matter if we're talking about 70 times seven, which is 490, or 77, which is 77. It doesn't really matter because the point is not like there's a certain number and then you cut them off. The point is you just keep forgiving. That's what you do. 
You just keep forgiving. How many times should you forgive your brother's sins against you? You just keep doing it. There is not like a, a number of times where you forgive, you know, so many times and you stop. Uh, back then, they thought it was seven times. It was a common idea among the rabbis. Jesus throws that out the window and says, you just keep forgiving. And naturally, if you've experienced this again and again and again and again, it's easy to wonder, well, what, what, what? So I'm just supposed to, I'm just supposed to let it go. Just supposed to forgive them. And then Jesus gets into this story, a parable, which hopefully will, you know, bring this to light. Beginning in verse 23. Therefore, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Okay, so you got a guy, it says he owes 10,000 bags of gold. What it actually says in the Greek is 10,000 talents. A talent was 20 years' wages for a laborer. So let's just translate that into our economy. Uh, um, a laborer. Uh, someone who, you know, works with his hands in Canada, makes somewhere in the ballpark of about $50,000 a year. So um, 50000 times 20 is a million dollars. So one talent is about a million dollars. This person owes 10,000 talents. So one million times 10,000 is, uh, it's, a, it's a big number. <laughs> and that's the point. It's just like, this is a bigger number than it really, you can wrap your head around, okay? For those of you who are actually like, well, actually, it's 10 billion. Okay, it's 10 billion. You're right, 10 billion. <laughs> but the point is, this person owes more than they can ever pay. And that's kind of like the guy comes, he's like, I'll pay it back. Just give me a little more time, I'll pay it back. We're past that, okay? You can't pay it back. Now... An important question to ask is, who is this person in the story who owes $10 billion? Who is this? Who is this? And it's not tricky. Um, God is the money lender, and we are the ones in debt for this insurmountable sum. That's us. That's us. Um, and it is important if you're going to live the Christian life, to have a sense of, well, that's, that's you. That's, that's, that's you and me. We're the, we're the ones who need this great forgiveness. And a lot of times, for some people, it's hard to see it that way. It's hard to feel like, well, I'm this great sinner that needs great forgiveness. I thought of Luke uh, 7. You got this Pharisee named Simon, and he invites Jesus into his home, and he feels pretty good about himself. And the reason he feels pretty good about himself is this is how he lives his life. He looks to the right and he looks to the left. And he says, I'm not doing so bad. And that, if that's how you live your life, looking to the right and looking to the left, you're going to have the same conclusion. As in, if you just look at other people, you're going to be like, well, there's some people that are better than me, sure. But I'm doing a lot better than a lot of these people on the left. Okay? If you spend your life looking to the right and looking to your left, and that's where you get your sense of morality from, forget it. None of this is going to make sense. But that's not how God has called us to live. God has called us to seek him. That is, that, that is uh, the mark of righteousness, is someone who seeks God in their heart. And if, 
if you are not just looking to the left and looking to the right, but looking up, seeking his face, that's where you're going to discover something. Simon was a man who was looking to the right and looking to the left, and he brought Jesus into his home. And there was this woman who was known to be a notorious sinner, an immoral woman. I don't even know who let her in, but somehow she got in to this dinner party, and she found herself at the feet of Jesus weeping, weeping. And Simon is there thinking, I can't believe he's just letting this woman just do that. That's just like, that's just, it's, it's one of those things like you're just going to forgive her and let her. Uh, that sense of justice stirred in Simon. And he's like, this isn't right. This isn't right. And Jesus, seeing the heart of Simon, says, Simon, um, I have something to tell you. And in a roundabout way, he says, it should be you, Simon. It should be you. She's doing this. And that's right. It's good that she's doing this, that she weeps at my feet, thanking me for the love that I have and the forgiveness I have. It is good that she is doing that. But Simon, it should be you. You should be there as well. As well. And, and <sighs> you know something? Seeking the face of God can make you uncomfortable. It can make people uncomfortable. Why does it make people uncomfortable to bring up religion and non-religious Places. It makes people uncomfortable. The reason it makes people uncomfortable is on some level we know. We live our lives doing our best to not look up. I'll look to the right, I'll look to the left, but I don't want to look up. I don't want to look up. That's what the fig leaves are of, uh, of old. It's, it's the human condition. We have a sense of guilt. We know. But instead of looking up and finding forgiveness, we just push it away. We push it away, push it away. Suppress it. Well, all that to say is it's you and me, and I hope you've discovered that. The person who owns the, owes the insurmountable amount, I hope you've discovered that's you and me. No exception. So um, the master, he forgives it all. It's because who he is. And by the way, forgiveness is hard. What happened to the $10 billion? Who pays for it? The master paid for it. I will absorb it. I will suffer the loss. I will accept the pain that you've caused. I will take it upon myself. It's part of why forgiveness is hard. I'm not going to demand you pay for it. I'll take it. I'll accept it. And he does. He lets him go. Verse 28. But when that servant, the one who was forgiven of the 10 billion, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Okay, so this fellow owes, what does it say, 100 silver coins. Um, in the Greek, it's 100 denarii, which is like a denarii is a day's work. So it's like 100 days work. So once more calculated in today's economy, we're looking at about, um, for the average laborer, $13,000. That's kind of a lot. It's kind of a lot of money. I mean, in the sense of like if someone took $13,000 from me, would I be pained? Would I be upset? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've had things taken from me before. I've never had 13,000 taken, but if 13,000 was uh, taken from me unjustly, I'd be pretty upset. 
And I bring this up to say sometimes things in this life pain us and we have that thing stirred inside of us, a thirst for justice. I want justice for how it's treated. Justice, justice. And that's what this man feels. This man feels, I want, I want justice. You owe me this 10, you know, 100 pieces of silver, this $13,000. You owe me that. I want it paid back. The person asks for forgiveness, and he says, no. No, you're going to pay it back. Because in his mind, that's justice. But is it justice? If you just read these verses, these little couple verses, uh, you know, uh, 28 to 30 about the guy who lost 100 pieces of silver. You know, if you just read that, you'd be like, yeah, it sounds like justice. He just wants what he's owed. But that's not the whole story, is it? Why is this not justice? Because that fellow has lost, he has lost the standing to stand in judgment. He lost it earlier when he was forgiven the 10 billion. That's why it's not justice. That seat of judgment, you don't belong there. As a forgiven sinner, you don't have that right. That's not justice. And this very much needs to be in our mind. When we get $13,000 taken from us, when we get wronged in serious ways, and once more, to me, that sounds pretty serious. When we get wronged in radical ways, we need to keep a perspective of who we are with God and who has God been for us. Whatever way you've been wronged by another person looking to the right or looking to the left, it's nothing if you look up. And you consider the God who sees the heart. That's why, that's why, well, what happens next? That's why what happens next? Um, verse 31, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. Why were they outraged? Because what that guy did wasn't just. They were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Holy smokes, that last verse is almost, that's worth reading again. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. From the heart. That, that's, that's, a, that's a hard verse. That's a hard truth. But this is what it comes down to. Do we want to be people who are on the side of mercy and forgiveness? Or do we want to be people who just live in the cold world of justice? Because if we're going to be on the side of forgiveness, it's a way of life. If we're going to open our heart and allow God in our life to work and to know him and to live in this truth of I'm a forgiver who's been, I'm a sinner who's been forgiven. If we're going to walk in that truth and live in that truth, then yes, of course, 
With that is going to come living a life of mercy towards others. But the reason God comes down so hard on those who live unmercifully, God comes down so hard on those who live lives of unforgiveness, is because it is evidence that you are suppressing him. You are denying him. You're not actually letting him and his grace in your life to do its work. You're living in darkness and you're walking in darkness. Um, You know this thing, forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This would probably be a good time for me to just take a small little pause and acknowledge something. Every time you talk about forgiveness, and especially the thing about like how many times should you forgive again and again and again and again and again, um, someone will, for good reason, bring up the question of someone who is in a situation of abuse. Does that mean you just go back and continue to be abused? Um, no, no, it, it doesn't mean that forgiving someone doesn't, necessarily mean trusting them. It doesn't necessarily mean entrusting yourself to them. Um, you know, I lent you my car. You stole my car. I forgive you. But no, you can't borrow my car. <laughs> I still don't trust you. Um, and trust is a different circumstance. Sometimes when there is a situation and it's abuse, sometimes a time of, of separation um, can be really um, needed. Um, so I just say that it doesn't necessarily mean stay and allow yourself to be abused, but this is talking about a heart condition. If in your heart is this thirst for justice, that's where you got to go to God and be reminded that we're the ones who have been forgiven greatly. Um, so this is speaking about heart motivation more than it is about like how the specifics and, and how that plays out. Um, I want to show you a verse from the New Testament to help bring together this concept of forgiveness, mercy, and, and justice because there is one way that these come together and there's only one way. Um, Romans uh, chapter 3, this is, this is just... Uh, this is just uh, uh, two verses. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Leave this on the screen for a second. You know the phrase, Jesus died for your sins? It's probably something you picked up. I'm not sure if you've ever really contemplated what this means, why this had to happen. Sometimes people will ask, people will ask, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus need to die? Why couldn't God have just forgiven people? Because that in itself is not justice. Justice demands someone pay for it. Someone needs to pay for it. Otherwise, it would be unjust it would be unjust to just let criminals go free. Someone needs to pay for what's been done. In the story, the person who pays for it was the master. I'll take it upon myself. I will pay for it. And here, what it says here, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Atonement, a payment, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 
I mean, how we receive this payment is by believing it. To receive by faith, and hear this, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, hear this, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God is fair, God is just. Someone is gonna pay for it. And beloved, beloved, your sins will be paid for. Someone is gonna pay for what's been done. Justice demands it. But the love of God, although he is just, he does not want you to perish. He does not want you to suffer in jail until every last dime is paid. He doesn't want that. And so he absorbed it. This is the love of God. He absorbed it. What shall we do? What shall we do? I have a bunch of people I love and they're all guilty. How shall justice be satisfied? I myself will take it. That is what God did in sending his son. And in Jesus, in the cross, and only in the cross, can forgiveness, mercy, and justice collide. He paid for our sins. Uh, he who was without sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him our sins are washed away. And hear this, this is the hope of the world. This is the hope of the world. Put the next verse on the screen. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, begin verse 14, hear this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting it aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. How amazing is this truth in light of the world that we are now living in? Do you know what this is talking about? Who are the two groups? Who are the two groups at war? Jews and Gentiles. And it persists, an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye. 2,000 years later, it's still on the front page of the news, this hostility. What have we learned? It's because you have two sides that are thirsting for justice. And justice is good. But justice won't solve this problem. Jesus, his blood shed, his blood shed for the world. And in him, because of what he did, because of what he did for us, I can forgive what you did to me. He absorbed it all. He is the hope of the world. In him is the peace that we've been longing for. And there will be a day when on the streets of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Palestinian, and, and German, and Nigerian, American, Canadian, all the tribes of the world, we will gather as one people, the, the, the wall of hostility broken down. He did it, and this is the only way, this is the hope for the world the blood of Jesus shed so that we can have not only forgiveness, but unity, oneness.
Father God, help us be a people. Lord, help us be a people who walk in justice and walk in mercy. Help us be a people transformed by your love, by your cross. Help us be a people, Lord, who acknowledge ourselves as sinners before you, and then we go live lives of mercy as people who've been forgiven and let your light shine. We ask this, Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Well, now we're coming to our time of Q&A, so if you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Charlie about what you just heard, uh, you can either raise your hand and we have a microphone that'll roam around the room and it'll come to you, or if you want to text the number on the screen if you're watching from home or if you uh, don't want to ask it in person, I will get it on my cell phone. So, um, Charlie, here's one question that came in already. How do you know you have really forgiven someone? I feel like I have forgiven, and I can pray for that person and do not wish any nasty things to happen to that person, but I find it hard to love or even like that person. Have I really forgiven them? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that forgiveness is evident when you desire good for them. You don't want them to suffer. You don't want them to pay for what they've done. You want them to be happy. You want them to be blessed. You want good things for them. I'd probably say that is, that's the clearest mark of forgiveness, uh, just by thinking off the top of my head. All right, any questions in the room? Just feel free to raise your hand. Um, here's another question. Um, the human heart is, um, is deceit, deceitful um, and good at deceiving us sometimes. How do we know if we are walking in unforgiveness? You know, uh, I remember something that a woman told me. She, her, um, she, she suffered a great injustice uh, by someone in her household. And she told me that Forgiveness for her, most of all, was a willingness to forgive. Or for her, it was something that she had to, like, every day offer up to God and say, Lord, I'm willing. Uh, my heart is, it feels pain, and I still feel anger stir up. But, Lord, I, I just want to acknowledge that, that, that you've called me to forgive, Lord, so I'm willing change my heart. Where there's, like, a, a humility there, where you're allowing God in. Um, probably the greatest mark of forgiveness or the greatest um, evidence in the heart of forgiveness is not necessarily how you're looking to the person next to you whom you need to forgive, but are how you're looking to God as someone who needs God's help and needs God's forgiveness. Um, as in forgiveness is not a work that you can do by yourself because it comes from the truth of the cross. So that's probably what I'd say. All right, we have a question right here. Um, our daily bread that is in the Bible or the prayer about, is it mean food or it mean all the rules of God? Um, which part? 
The daily bread. Oh, the daily bread. bread. Is it made necessary food that we eat, or right. the clothes that we wear, or yep. it is more? I would say it uh, is everything that we need for a life of joy and godliness. I would say that it includes our daily provision of something to eat. And for some people, that's literally where they find themselves. If God doesn't deliver some food, we're not going to eat today. So I would say it, it's that. But even more, it is the faith we need. The faith that we need to have him dwelling in our lives and joy. Um, it is that work of the heart, the, the gift of the spirit, the, the portion of the spirit to give us um, a sense of faith and life and joy. So good question. Thanks, Bernard. Uh, we've had several questions come in about struggling to forgive someone. What if they haven't shown repentance? What if they haven't asked for forgiveness? What if we're just really struggling? Like every time we see this person, we just have this like physical reaction against them. Okay. So actually, you know what? Um, there was another verse that I was going to put on the screen. But go ahead and put it up there. Um, Genesis chapter 50 Verse 19 to 21. So Joseph's brothers have, Joseph's brothers, they, they, did, they did him wrong. <laughs> you know, they, they sold him into slavery. And preceding this passage, they actually asked him for forgiveness. Uh, essentially. They essentially asked him for forgiveness. And he said to them, um, first he said, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? So basically, first he acknowledged I don't have the moral standing to forgive. I am not a judge. I, as in, I don't have the moral standing to withhold forgiveness. I don't have the moral standing to judge. I, that is God's place. I'm not God. So this is just more of the humility that comes from actually seeking God's face. But then he says something else that's very important that I think helps us forgive. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Meaning, part of the way that I can forgive you is to know this was God's good plan. What you did was not good, but God has a good plan, and that I accept. So I can move on with my life knowing that God has a good plan, and he's working out his good plan through your evil acts. Um, that's what I see there. It's something that can work in our hearts to help us for forgiveness. And then again, he says, so don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you. I want what's good for you. That's the same thing. So what about if someone here in this thing, they ask for forgiveness? You said, what if someone is unrepentant? Here's what it is. If someone is unrepentant, what you cannot have is reconciliation. But you can have forgiveness as in you can stand ready to forgive. Jesus died for the sins of the world, the whole world. I was laying in my bed last night and I was just realizing that tomorrow, as in today, I'm going to be speaking to a room full of people loved by God. I'm going to be speaking to a room full of people who are loved by God so much that he would send his son to die for them. That is you. But also knowing that some of you have not yet been reconciled to him. He stands ready to forgive. His heart is to forgive. That is his posture towards you, and that's the posture we need to have towards sinners who have sinned against us, whether they have acknowledged their sin or not. But it is true that only the repentant can find reconciliation. Only when you say, God, that's me. I'm a sinner. 
And only when someone really understands how they've hurt you can the relationship be fully restored. Yeah. What does scripture say about forgiving ourselves? Hmm. I can't think of a verse that speaks to it immediately, the exact context, but the whole thing with Jesus is he died to be a guilt offering. Meaning, uh, is, is interesting, I was just reading a, a, a week or two ago, uh, the late Tim Keller was, was talking about how um, Karl Marx and uh, Frederick Nietzsche, people who have really influenced whole cultures, influenced cultures of, of secularism and cultures where we're just going to remove religion. They thought that religion creates in people a sense of guilt that is harmful for us. And so many people are bogged down by this, carrying around this sense of guilt. And, um, and uh, Tim Keller was talking about how there have been societies that have flowed from that thought and tried to remove religion. But what they've found is this nagging sense of guilt doesn't leave you alone. Um, there's someone close to me who I know very well who has... Uh, used drugs for much of his life, and he recently stopped, and he told me how it's harder to sleep because he lays in bed, and he told me that he's been thinking about things he hasn't thought of for decades, ways that he hurt his wife. And it's like we do things to hide. We do things to hide and not think about it, not think about it, not think about it. But that sense of guilt that we've done something wrong, it needs to go somewhere. Jesus died to be a guilt offering. So what about forgiving yourself, forgiving yourself, forgiving yourself? That's Jesus. He's the guilt offering. Sometimes in pride, we say, no, that doesn't feel right. Like I want, I, I, I need to, I can't just let myself off the hook. That's pride. I know it sounds kind of noble, but it isn't. It's not looking to Jesus. Remember the guy who owed all that money and he's like, I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. I will suffer and I will pay it back. He loves you. He wants to take it away. It's a guilt offering. It's a place to give the guilt. If you're struggling with forgiving yourself, this might seem weird advice. I would say confess that to God because that's not good. Withholding forgiveness from yourself is no better than me withholding it from Cheryl. Although you're cool, you didn't do anything wrong. But I'm just using an example. Like, for, for honest, you should not withhold forgiveness from someone who God wants to forgive, and that includes yourself. So I would say confess that to God um, and, and, and quit beating up that servant. You know what I mean? All right, we have one here, and then we'll do one more so the band can come up and get ready if they want. Charlie, I think that was uh, that went right to the heart today. That uh, was uh, personal, and I think it speaks to our world. I wanted to thank you for that. That uh, you're welcome. Thanks, Basil. Yeah, really, um, extremely good. Very meaningful. Very powerful message. I, I had one question about forgiveness, and um, I, I loved everything the way you put that together. Um, you know. We're called to forgive others, you know, and, and you were talking about that. And we've been forgiven, right, by 
you know, by God when we come to Christ, right? And, and the only thing is, is that when things happen in this world, and when we forgive someone, um, we always have this tendency, I think, in the real world, because we're not God, you know, oh, well, you know, this wasn't really 50-50, your part was more 80, my part was kind of 20, or your, my part was 10, maybe your part was 90, and we're always kind of thinking like that, and, and it affects. So my thought, and I just wanted to mention this, I felt that sometimes the most powerful, powerful God's grace in us for forgiveness is that even more powerful than forgiving people for their 90% is going to that person and asking for their acceptance of your forgiveness for your 10%. Wow. And, and that the, the, when I have seen this happen at times and God's kingdom comes flowing in, flowing in like, like, like a tidal wave, when we ask for forgiveness, even when in our minds, that part is the little part. So I just wanted to mention that. That's a good word. That's a good word right there. Yeah. Um, the last question, well, we've had several co questions come in about um, what if you are brought up to um, dislike a, another culture, um, if that's like your upbringing, you're taught that by your family, um, or... And, and associated with that is what do we do with the situation in Gaza? How do we reconcile forgiveness and justice with the situation that's happening there right now? So two cultures at war. Enormous concepts, and um, I don't have all the answers. And the good thing is I, I don't need to. Uh, I'm not put in a position to make decisions um, regarding these world powers and such. But I've been called to mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And if I'm sent across from someone who is in pain uh, because they have family on one side of the border or the other, I'm called to be a, a person who extends compassion and empathy and to weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. And as Christians, justice is good. Justice is good. But our first desire for the world has to be mercy and forgiveness. And, and, and that the truth of who Jesus is uh, would be made known uh, to a world.